Thank you. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, good morning. My name is Lisa. I'm one of the pastors here at Commonway. Good to see you. And we are about halfway through our Seeking Shalom series. Can you believe that? So we are rolling along, and I have asked for some um, feedback this week of just how people have been experiencing the content and how groups have been experiencing the content. And I'm receiving some common words like, oh, well, we're having to unlearn some things. We're definitely learning new things. Uh, wrestling. I know there's, there's been some pushback in some discussions, and that's good. We welcome that. Um, and a common word that I have heard is that this is causing me to pause, to pause in situations that normally I would just assume I would act or respond to a person in a certain way, and, and what we're learning is, is causing me to pause. And I've noticed that in my own life. A few weeks ago, Joy Rediger from Urban Light uh, Community Development came and she gave us a great message on this idea of just paying attention to how we are personally experiencing moments. And she, she encouraged us to pause and to wonder and to be curious about what is stirring inside and why we respond the way that we do. So this idea of reimagining our response to material poverty is a real mind shift for many of us, and it has been for me. We are learning new ways of how to approach situations. And to name a few to review, uh, one thing we're learning is to view the community that we're wanting to serve and reach out to as the center and not our own ideas or agendas. The need for proximity when it comes to properly diagnosing problems and really seeking for understanding. To approach poverty situations in ways that are dignifying and collaborative. And always, always, always prioritizing relationships so that mutual giving and receiving can take place. And then last week, Matt brought up a big point of this idea of as we enter into certain contexts, especially in material poverty, to remember we're not just bringing Jesus into that situation. Jesus is already there. And so to remember that, that he is already working before we even show up, and it is about us joining him in his work in people's lives and being ready and aware to be able to see that ourselves. And so we are being stretched in so many different ways. And you know what? It's overwhelming. Have any of you felt that way? I have felt that way. It's something that I, I constantly, I'm just wondering, I'm like, man, this is good stuff that, that we're learning. But at the, end of the, excuse me, at the end of the day, can we really, really make a difference? Poverty, it's so complex and it's so multifaceted. It's so holistic and people who are much smarter than us, who have been doing this their whole lives, are noticing that, guess what, it's still here, and there's still a lot of work to do. It's a slow, hard work, and can we do this from our little corner of the world in Muncie, Indiana? And what does that look like? And so I wonder these things. I say, God, how can we join you in the work that you're already doing because this feels overwhelming. And we've been learning and challenged in this idea that some of the traditional paradigms that we grew up with or in our backgrounds, they just haven't been helpful. And sometimes they've been actually really harmful and had the opposite effect of what we have desired. 
So we know that methods and strategies, they do matter. We know that relationship building matters, and we know that expertise and skills matter. And in the work of poverty alleviation, relational and tactical methods, they matter if we want to be effective, and that is true. But you know what else matters? It's the kind of people that do the work. It's the kind of people that we are becoming. And that's where I want to direct our attention to this morning. Uh, Jim Reese of Atlanta Mission said in one of our videos in week two of Seeking Shalom, he said, our ability to serve effectively, in particularly the poor, is our willingness to see ourselves as poor. So his point here has to do with effectiveness. Jim is saying if we want to be, if we want to make an effective, positive difference in our service to the poor, it starts with an awareness of our own needs. It starts with an ability to take a look at ourselves and admit, yeah, me too. Remember that there are many versions of poverty. Material is just one form, but we can be poor in other ways. Many of you know that I worked at a bank for a few years when I lived in Nebraska. And I was a teller and I was a community banker, which means that I handled cash all day long. And I looked at people's checking and savings accounts and I could see how they spent their money. And since we were a small community bank, I'd have regular customers call because they wanted to know their balances. Perhaps I'd have to do a transfer for them. And you know, these were the kind that wanted nothing to do with online banking. No matter how hard we tried to convince them, it was a good thing. They just wanted to talk to a person. I see some of you smiling because I know that you can relate. But after working at the bank a while, I came to know these people by their phone numbers, by their voices, and I could anticipate kind of what they needed and why they were calling. And one of my favorite customers, we'll call her Janice, she would call often and she wanted her account balance. Janice was friendly and she was kind, very upbeat, she was retired but barely made it on her social security check each month. Her health was weak, but her spirit was strong. The phone would ring and I'd say, hello, thank you for calling American National Bank. This is Lisa, how may I help you? How you doing, sweetheart, she'd say. Janice, how are you? And I wouldn't even have to ask her the security questions because I knew 100% it was her. She's like, well, my car broke down and I need to get it fixed. And I don't have any money, but I want to see if my check got in my account. Can you check that for me? I said, sure, Janice. All right, just a minute. And I'd look and I'd say, I'm sorry, Janice, your check hasn't, hasn't cleared in your account yet. She's like, oh, well, you know what I'm going to do when I get more money. I'm going to go to Walmart and I'm going to get me some clothes because I need a new bra. It's old. And then she'd just break out in this hilarious, raspy laugh, and I'd laugh right along with her, talk a little bit more, and I'd say, well, Janice, you have a good day, and I'm sure I'll be talking to you tomorrow. <laughs> well, working at a bank gave me a lot of insights in how people, you know, live their lives and what mattered to them. And you better believe when those stimulus checks dropped during COVID, I got insight into that too, and well, we can all know where Janice spent her check. <laughs> But over time, I gained insights into um, not only my customers' financial accounts, but in what I would call their life accounts as well. How well were they relationally connected? What were their habits? How was their health? 
Were they vocationally fulfilled? Did they have family support? Were they involved in their community? Was there any indication of faith or spiritual vitality? You could pick up on all these things. And from my small interactions with customers on a regular basis, I would get these little clues into the accounts of their lives that were robust and full, and then those that perhaps were near bankrupt or everything in between. I also made the observation that those with the fattest bank accounts weren't always the ones that were the most gracious or kind to us. And the opposite effect, often our most poor customers, the elderly like Janice, were the richest of heart. And I wonder today if we were to take an inventory of our life accounts, how would we answer that? I mean, if it's important for us to be aware of our bank account balances, don't you think it'd be important? important to be aware of our uh, other areas of our lives as well. You know, some of us know down to the penny of how much money we spend every day because we get these little notifications on our phone that go bing and tell us what we just spent. What if, what if we had an, an update on our life accounts? Ding! You've just mentally overdrafted today. <laughs> you might need a transfer. <laughs> that might be helpful for some of us. But where is there sufficiency in your life? Or you feel like you're doing well, and where is there lack? Well, in our study of Seeking Shalom, we are continually reminded that all forms of poverty are what? It's an indication of broken relationships. Broken relationships with God, with ourselves, with others, with the created order. And poverty is broken shalom. So in other words, poverty is the opposite of flourishing, wholeness, and harmony, and it's when interdependence has been broken. So where we're headed this morning is I propose that the degree to which we are seeking shalom in our lives is the degree to which we are able to seek shalom in our city. And in order to seek shalom in our lives, we have to first be willing to admit our own poverty. So it's being in touch with our own needs that opens up the doors for us to connect with others, even if the needs are different. There is something about inviting, there's something about admitting our need that invites the power of God into our lives, and it is that power of God that's going to enable us to do the work that he's called us to do. And I've been sitting with some very familiar words of Jesus in the last month. And the more that I've thought about these words, the more I'm convinced they are crucial to our understanding of seeking shalom. And on a mountainside 2,000 years ago, Jesus sat down and gathered his disciples around him. And he began, began his most famous sermon with these words, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And of all the ways he decided to launch into this famous teaching session with his followers, he begins with these words, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So I wonder what's been happening up until this point that might spur him on to launch into this, to this moment. And we can get some insight in Matthew 4, chap I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. If you want to turn to your Bibles or your devices, you can uh, follow along with me. So in Matthew 4, verse 23, we read this. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease 
and sickness among the people. So first of all, I want you to notice that Jesus is going around and he has a message and he has a ministry. His message is proclaiming the good news that the kingdom is here and he demonstrates that that message is true by healing, by the ministry of healing, diseases and sickness. And we continue on to read in verse 24, news about him spread all over Syria and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering with severe pain, the demon possessed, those having seizures and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. So just to give you a little bit of an idea of this region that we're talking about, um, it's speculated that the Sermon on the Mount happened north of the Sea of Galilee, right up here. You have the region of Galilee. It was mentioned the Decapolis. People from the Decapolis came. That is Deca means 10. So that was a region of 10 cities that were actually Gentile. They weren't even Jewish. And so people are coming because they're hearing about this Jesus who's healing. So people east of the Jordan River, Rivers are hard to cross. <laughs> Somehow people are finding a way. And then down in the region of Judea and Jerusalem is located down here and Syria is up here. So that is a, a pretty good, uh, wide, expansive <laughs> amount of territory where people are following Jesus. And just to give you an idea, uh, Capernaum to Jerusalem is about 100 miles. And so news of Jesus is spreading. It doesn't matter if you're Jewish or if you're Gentile. Healing is available to all, and needless to say, he was becoming a very famous, sought-out rabbi. Well, let's continue to read in chapter 5, verse 1. So what does he do? How does he respond? Verse 1, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and he sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So he goes up to a mountain and he sits down, which is a... a popular kind of uh, normal position of teaching. And so I would wonder, what would a rabbi do after spending hours, who knows how many days, with people who were desperate, people who were suffering and oppressed and demonized at the end of the rope and in need of a miracle? What would Jesus do? What would he say? I mean, these people just weren't suffering with illnesses because we know that when you are having a serious health condition, it affects every area of your life. Some of you know this. Some of you are experiencing this right now. Failing health can affect, you know, <laughs> definitely whether you can get a job. I'm sure most of these people were materially poor. It can isolate you. You can be in depression. I mean, just it's just exponential what can happen. And so these people are seeking after Jesus, and he's done all this ministry, and now he goes up to a mountainside, and what does he do? What does he start with? A description of the kind of people to whom this kingdom belongs. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what does this poor in spirit mean? Blessed are those who are aware of their desperate need for God. Or let me say it another way. Happy are those whose hearts are turned towards God and depend on him for everything. How about this way? Happy are those who see their personal resources as nothing compared to the resources of God. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to people 
such as these. So Jesus is de declaring and he's explaining his kingdom and he begins with saying the poor in spirit belong there. What he is not doing in his sermon is he's not saying, hey, disciples, gather around here. You need to become poor in spirit so that you can have the kingdom. So Jesus isn't doing like this command reward kind of thing. The Beatitudes aren't supposed to be approached that way. He is simply explaining what the kingdom of heaven looks like and the kind of people who belong to it. So right out of the gate, he says it's for people who know they have needs, who know they don't have it all together, and who look to God. Now, a quick word about the kingdom of heaven. Some would say, oh, it's where God rules and he reigns. And that is true. But some of us don't kind of use language like that. I love this simple definition by Dallas Willard. He said, King, the kingdom of heaven is God in action. God in action, where God is actively accomplishing his purposes. So when Jesus is sitting there teaching his disciples about the availability of the kingdom of heaven for an unsuspecting group of people, the poor in spirit, Jesus is implying that to be poor in spirit means that you have access to heavenly resources. Kingdoms have kings, and where King Jesus is, there's an ample supply of resources. We have been reminded in our study over the last several weeks that one of the reasons for material poverty is a lack of access, lack of uh, access to reliable transportation, People can get a job and move about and do what they need to do. Access to health care, access to good food, access to a loving support system to connect with friends and family. Access matters. And here Jesus is looking at his followers and saying, people who know they have needs and admit them are those who have access to the kingdom of heaven. Remember now, Jesus is on a healing spree. He's on a public speaking circuit. He's performing many miracles, and he's teaching profound truths, and he's leaving crowds absolutely amazed. And what would normally seem impossible or too big to imagine is actually happening. Why? Because the kingdom, because the resources of the kingdom of heaven are being unleashed through the Spirit's power in Jesus, and it started with people recognizing their need for God their need for healing. So I think, church, if we're going to continue to love and serve our neighbors, we're going to continue to love and serve our friends in Nicaragua, the task is too big and it's too overwhelming to accomplish it in our own strength and our own human resources. We're just not smart enough. We're smart, but we're not, we're not that smart. Big enough or wise enough or rich enough or loving enough to do this thing. It's going to require more, and, it, and it's going to require the resources of heaven to move forward. Divine resources, spirit-empowered wisdom and guidance, hope and joy, providential opportunities that open up only because God is able to do that. Moments where we step back and we say, wow, that was God. So how do we tap into these resources? Most often when we are, what, open? available and saying, God, we need you. We need you. We, we need you to forgive us, change us, prepare us, fill us with your spirit. And it's this posture of dependence that not only invites a move of God, 
but it connects us with the people that we are trying to reach. It's this whole idea of mutuality. How can I expect to connect with someone in need if I am totally disconnected with my own needs? There's a, a learning in week four of Seeking Shalom that says mutuality reminds us that we are in need of transformation too. We have heard it said before, the problem is just not out there, but it's in here as well. And so the question is, are we in touch with our own needs and where we need God? Now, when I say need God, I'm not talking about people who walk around in self-pity with their shoulders slumped and say, I'm just a horrible human, okay? That, or those that display this kind of false humility. I wouldn't, I wouldn't call that poor in spirit. I, I would call that poor in attitude, Poor in spirit here is a healthy awareness of our dependence on God for all of life and holiness. It's not this self-loathing. And listen, no matter how much of a mess we are, how much of a mess we think we are, we are still loved and embraced by Jesus. And so we can walk in that identity and we can learn to trust that and rely on God for what we need. So where do we need him today? If someone you trusted were to ask you, what do you need? What do you need right now? How would you respond? Without snark or sarcasm. <laughs> I'll tell you what I need right now. I need a vacation, you know, fill in the blank. All the things we think we need to make our lives better. But really getting down more to the heart of it. Let's say you weren't rushed for time. Let's say this person was the most non-judgmental, compassionate, patient person. How would you answer them? Would you play it safe and be like, oh, I don't know, you know, life's busy, maybe for it to slow down? Or would you say, well, I'm doing okay compared to so-and-so. Their life's really bad right now, and I, I don't have anything to complain about, so I'm, I'm okay. Now, maybe that's appropriate for people you don't know that well, but for those that do know you, would you be a little more vulnerable and go maybe a little deeper to the needs of your heart? I need God to move so that I can let go of resentment and reconcile with a friend. I need God to help me become a parent who is less angry and more patient with my kids. I need God to deliver me from my shame so I can have joy again. I need God to fill me with hope about my failing marriage. I need God to help me stay honest in a very dicey work situation. I need God to heal my chronic pain that fills me with despair. I need God to comfort me because I have never felt so alone. I need God to give me courage to ask for help and set me free from addiction I just can't kick. I need God to fill my anxious mind with his peace. I need God to help me believe that there's actually more in this life for me. I need God to love me in a way I actually believe it's true. Or maybe this is you today. I need God to show me my needs because I am so totally disconnected with myself. So where do our hearts cry out for a fresh work of God? Where do we need a fresh reminder that he's active in your life? Maybe you are very aware of your needs, and you're like, Lisa, I've been asking, 
and nobody seems to be there. <laughs> I repeatedly bring these areas of my life and nothing has changed. And that's a really hard place to be. And I can share your sentiment. But I think it's these very places of dependence on God and on waiting on him that allows us to connect with other people in their similar places of longing and desperation. You know, as we think about our work in Muncie, instead of being people that maybe come into a neighborhood with an I'm fine attitude, we are now fellows, fellow brothers and sisters who are coming in very aware of our needs too and needing to rely on God just as much for the resources of heaven to allow us to love and to give. And I think we'll only discover this, excuse me, I think that we um, will discover that as we build these relationships with people, especially those in material poverty, we're gonna, we're gonna see that they are way more rich in some areas than we are. And we're gonna discover that, wow, I have some places of, of lack that I wasn't even aware of. So again, our ability to serve effectively, and particularly the poor, is our willingness to see ourselves as poor. Instead of looking at our own poverty, where we're not experiencing shalom, as something that we want to hide or ignore or minimize or dismiss, because we do all of that, how about we just own it? How about we just own it and realize that uh, it is indeed in our weaknesses where the grace of God can meet us. Some of you are very aware of these uh, familiar words from the Apostle Paul out of 2 Corinthians 12, one of my favorites. And it's just startling to me. This, it's so precious how, how Paul says, Jesus said this to me. But Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Why? So that Christ's power may rest on me. Have you ever thought that maybe when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, your areas of need are not a liability? They actually might be your greatest asset. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And you know, if you'd continue reading the list of blesseds in Matthew 5, I would argue that they're all built upon poor in spirit. Because it's out of this place where true life flows. Dallas Willard says this, the good news of the kingdom is the availability of life from above through the reliance on Jesus, the living one, the master of the universe. Those who receive this gospel, this good news, throwing themselves upon the mercy of the risen Christ, live in God's action. Remember, that's his definition of the kingdom. Live in God's action, which is what? Grace moving in them. I think he is saying here that this new kingdom is available to whomever chooses to rely upon the mercy of a resurrected Jesus. And so where we are experiencing a break in shalom is the very place where the great shalom bringer, Jesus, wants to meet us. You know, one of my favorite names for Jesus is Prince of Peace. And that comes out of the book of Isaiah, 
When the prophet Isaiah in chapter 9, verse 6, he is foretelling the birth of the Messiah, and he describes him as this wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Do you know the Hebrew word for peace there? Shalom. Prince of Shalom. Isaiah was saying the Prince of Shalom is coming. The coming Messiah, the anointed one who would establish a kingdom, a kingdom of flourishing, of wholeness, of harmony, and it would be available to all people who received him. And it's available for us. It's available for our city. But we have to seek it, and we must be, seeking, be willing to seek shalom daily in our lives because, again, the degree to which we are seeking shalom in our lives is the degree to which I believe we'll be able to seek shalom in our city. And in order to seek shalom for ourselves, we have to what? We have to be willing to admit our own poverty. So to close today, I want to do a little something different and just give us some space to sit and reflect and listen to a song. If Tyler would come up, um, he's going to play a song for us today. Is he in the building? Wow, we might not have a song. Okay. I might have gone a little too quick, Tyler. Too fast. All right. I was trying to speed things up. But I want to give you space to think about this question. God, where do I need you? God, where do I need you? Would you show me the areas of my heart that I need a fresh work of you in me today? Where is my life account balance low? And the song that Tyler's going to sing is uh, actually the Beatitudes. And so I invite you just to let those words wash over you and kind of do whatever makes sense. We also will have uh, some, some people from our prayer team to come forward. You can come forward now at either corner. Um, and if, it, it, if that is something where you just want to bring a simple request and have someone pray with you this morning, maybe that's, maybe that's what you need to do. And, uh, you know, these can be, they don't have to be dramatic or holy sounding. It can just be a place where you're like, I need, a, I need God to help me out in this area. On, on a personal note, a few months ago, um, some of you know that I, I've had ongoing back issues. And, um, and it's just kind of this area of my life that uh, I sometimes am encouraged about and then just really discouraged. And I haven't been able to get in a groove since my last injury. And so one Sunday, I actually came forward, and it was the Kaminsky's that we're praying and I said I just need a kick in the pants because I can't seem to get into the gym and start rehabbing my back and I know that affects every area of my life and and would you just pray for me on that and guess what there's been progress made since that moment and I'm now back in the gym and getting some personal training and I just share that as a really simple everyday life example how sometimes we need to share these, these needs with other people, invite them in, maybe get some accountability, practice vulnerability, and invite the power of God to come in those moments and to fill us. And so this other question, who can I share that with this week? I encourage you not to keep it to yourself because we're, 
we're trying to practice this relationship building. And if we expect to show up in our city and to be able to connect with people about mutual needs, how are we going to do that if we're not able to open up or if we're not practicing that, that space of, of genuine connection? And I know sometimes it feels awkward or it's hard, but um, that's how we grow. That's how we grow. So God, where do I need you? Who can I share that with this week? We're just going to give you a few moments to listen to this song, to sit. If it feels right to come forward to receive prayer, do that. Or just pray in your seat, and then I'll close this after the song's done. Would you pray with me? Jesus, our Prince of Shalom, we ask that you come to those places in our life that need you. Ask that you fill us with yourself and with the resources of heaven that you say are available to those who belong in your kingdom. God, may we grow in our ability to recognize our need and not be ashamed of it or embarrassed or dismissive. But God, may our very weaknesses and our very places of lack be that which drives us to deeper connection and relationship with other people. Jesus, thank you that you were the one who embodied poor in spirit and you showed us what that looked like. May we be more like you. And may you empower and equip this church to do the good work in this city that you've called us to do. I ask your great blessing over each person today as we leave. In your mighty holy name, amen. Prayer stations will still be open if you still want to come forward and receive that. Uh, would you join me and stand? Well, as you go today, may you go being reminded of the very words of Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Go in peace. Thank you.